Charlia. Welcome to Good Luck Charlie. Just like you, I'm on the journey of self-discovery and am daily trying to learn what it means to find balance, create lifelong friendships, chase my dreams and invest in my future. So here's what I'm learning and loving on this crazy path of life. I'm so glad you decided to join me. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Good Luck Charlie podcast. It is wonderful to have you here. Welcome if this is your first ever time Welcome to a place where you can learn a little bit more about your career opportunities and also just realize that you are not alone in life and you are not behind in life. Each week I interview a range of different people from a range of different professions to work out what does it really mean to be a nurse? What does it really mean to work in the army or to be a social worker or a whole range of other jobs because I am currently in grade 12 in Australia and I have very little idea what I want to do next year and for my career in the future. So these interviews are for myself, as much for myself as they are for you. So as you can see from the title of this week's episode, today I am talking to a social worker who was actually one of my good friends and someone who I really look up to and view as a bit of a mentor in life, the wonderful Jo. She has been a social worker for a number of years and has worked in a variety of different locations like the hospital and sexual assault clinics and just a whole range of other things. So it is safe to say that she has a lot of experience and I love, as you'll hear throughout this episode, Jo's just genuine passion for the job and desire to do good, to help people and to walk beside them. So if you are interested in working in the human services world or know someone who might be, this is the episode for you. I really hope this answers a lot of your questions about this field of work and that you can discover what it really looks like to be a social worker to help you work out what you want to do for your future. If you know someone who might be interested in being a social worker, I would love if you sent this episode to them and I'm sure they'll be super thankful for it too. I do just want to apologize. The audio isn't great at some time, so you might just have to keep turning the volume up and down and fiddling around with that, but you can hear everything. Just wanted to say that's not usually the quality and I hope that you can enjoy it and get great information out of it regardless. So I'll just jump right into the episode. Thank you, Joe, so much for your time and for sharing your heart and your words. I hope you all enjoy. Hello. Hello, Joe. Thank you. Hey. Hello. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. I'm really looking forward to hearing about your day-to-day life and the way your career has changed as you've gotten older and everything since high school as well. Awesome. Well, I mean, for everybody, uh, Jo is one of my good friend's mums, so it's been really cool as I grow up to hear stories about you growing up that you've told Ruby, and I've always loved the way that you seem to have such a zest for life whilst also being so caring and also achieving really amazing things in your business and your life. But I remember hearing stories about you even wagging when you were in high school and things like this. And it's crazy to see where you are now. So I guess I would love if you could share a quick summary of your life from high school up until now working in management of social working and what made you ultimately decide to become a social worker and what has that path looked a little bit like? Awesome. Um, thank you, Talia. Thank you for um, reaching out. And thank I think um, for me, like right from an early age, I've like always been drawn to the stories of others. Like I've always been fascinated in how people live their lives, their challenges and how they think. And I, I even as a kid, I can remember listening into my elder siblings' conversations um, with friends about 
um, friendship dramas or mm. um, love dramas. And I remember my mother's friends talking around the kitchen table about relationship breakdowns or losses or worries about kids. Wow. And my own parents had their stories about how they came to Australia and their lives and their family back home. And so I was always interested um, from, yeah, I, I can't even remember when it first began, yeah. but I always was interested in um, what was going on for people and how they were feeling. Um, and I think like probably many people's stories are a way of making sense of the world. Um, mm. But I didn't probably know back then that I wanted to be a social worker necessarily. I just knew that I loved the rich kind of tapestry of people and that I had a, a really acute sense of social justice. Yeah. Um, and, and that I didn't like even in my own friendships, didn't feel the need to shy away from heavy issues and I always wanted to help. Um, and I think um, having wow. a mum who is in the human services industry as well. So she worked at Lifeline and she's been a family therapist. So I'd, I'd heard many stories through the years about her work and mm -hmm. it's probably what led me to be interested in this field. But but in when I was in high school, thinking back to high school, I wasn't sure if I wanted to study law or social work and I had done, um, I think maybe back then they did like mini placements just for a couple of weeks and I think it must have been year 11 I did a placement at a family law court because I thought at that point that I wanted to do law um, and it really sparked my interest in law and then uh, you, you referenced early the <laughs> stories about me wagging and yeah, in, in year 12 I probably wagged close to one day a week in year 12 and I would jump on a bus in my high school uniform and go into the city to the Supreme Court and I would talk to the court clerk um, and ask what interesting cases were on and I would bow at the judge on the way in and listen to murder trials and, and other cases, other open court yeah, cases. Insane. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but what I quickly learned about um, law was that it was, yeah, it was a lot slower than um, I'd seen on TV and it didn't kind of capture my interest in the same way that I thought it would. So yeah. um, then I started to think a bit more about social work and I remember must have been late high school again, maybe, maybe in year 12. Um, mum was in hospital for a very small procedure and I remember mm -hmm. going into the hospital. I can even see the ward um, at RBWH in my mind now and I remember going in and um, seeing the hustle and bustle of the, the ward and the smell of the hospitals and I just knew deep within my bones that at some point in my career I would work in a hospital. Wow. It, just, it just felt like um, it, it was somewhere that I really belonged. So, um, yes, so then straight from high school I went and did a Bachelor of Social Work degree. So that's my first degree and I did that at UQ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I loved the course. I, I loved the diversity diversity of students that were drawn to the course yeah. and the and the liberation to really explore um, really important social issues. So, yeah, that's how I became a social worker. So that was the late 1990s. Amazing. I'm smiling so big. I love hearing people's stories, especially people that I already know a little bit, but that you never really sit down and ask these kinds of questions to. So it's so special yeah. to see all of the ways that it's tied together and random things that you knew from when you were a kid, but then also other aspects that you only discovered about your personality later on that ultimately led you to studying social work. Could you talk us through a little bit the degree? Uh, is it three years, four years? Is it a lot of discussions or assignments? And is there also prac and placement as a part of that as well? 
Yes, so the Bachelor of Social Work is a four-year degree and there's a bunch of unis in Brisbane and across the country that um, do that degree um, and there's you know, there's a, a combination of um, <coughs> assignments, exams, lots of group work, there's lots of discussion, lots mm-hmm. of teasing um, out issues and there's two pretty big placements that are both kind of nearly half a year each in the third year and the fourth year if you're doing the undergrad degree. So my first placement was in a disability organisation and my second placement was in child protection. Um, And it was from there that um, after uni, I worked a couple of different jobs uh, in a sexual assault service, (coughs) a young parents program and at Kids Helpline. And ironically, I'm back in that organisation again um, before I flew to London and worked in child protection for a couple of years. Full circle. That's insane. What was the biggest thing that you think you only learnt once you got on the job about social work? Like you learnt all this stuff at uni, but what was the biggest lesson you only learnt once you got into the field? Oh, that uh, having worked in child protection so early in my career, it's just a massive growth curve. I think uni kind of can't compare, can't even prepare you for the level of complexity. in people's lives so it I think the the degree really uh, because what's really beautiful about social work I think is that we're good at not seeing a problem at face value we're really good Mm -hmm. like so say a problem like drug addiction for example where we're good at not just looking at that at face value we're really good at looking at um, being carefully and safely unpicking the threads of what sits behind the problem. So not just looking at an individual in front of you, but the ecosystem that's kind of sitting alongside the yeah. person. So they're, they're, so seeing them in the context of their family, their friends, other services, education or employment. And we look at significant life events that have occurred for someone, like from their early childhood experiences yeah. to their current day, both strengths and challenges, and also think about systemic contributions to the presenting problems. Um, and we kind of then synthesise all of this information um, into um, yeah, a really deep understanding of someone and then thinking about what interventions will work. But So I think what the degree prepares you for, not necessarily the level of content that you'll deal with in your career, but more that way of thinking, that systemic way of thinking, which is really yeah. important for social work. Yeah, a huge job and just talking and empathizing with people all day. It's amazing. I love the way the language that you keep using, the tapestry of life and all of the threads that have pulled together and all of the, it's just, it's a beautiful way of talking about life, I feel. And I guess you kind of touched on it, but what does a typical day as a social worker look like from when you get there in the morning to leave or everything? So if you're um, you know, social work, the beauty about social work is that you can work in so many different yeah. contexts. You could be doing personal family counselling or therapy. You could be doing group work. You could be, I, I ended up working in a hospital system for 19 years prior yeah. to my current job, like all sorts of advocacy, um, policy, research. There's so many areas that you can get into. But I suppose when people think of social work, they typically think of um 
a frontline worker um, and, and generally when you're turning up to work as a frontline worker, you're, you're finding out what emergencies have happened um, through the night, whether there's any kind of critical issues that you need to be aware of. You're responding and kind of prioritising new referrals. Mm-hmm. Then you're meeting with clients, so whether that's home visits, whether that's going to see clients on the ward, um, doing assessments, counselling, whatever your context might be. You might be running groups. Um, you might be, uh, you're likely to be responding to other emergencies that crop up during the day. Uh, You're working with other services. Um, You're working with other team members. You're often in a multidisciplinary team, so you're Mm -hmm. providing input and advocacy on behalf of the client um, in terms of that that case planning. And then you you spend a bit of time writing up case notes. There's a a big admin component to to most Mm -hmm. jobs and social work's not exempt from that. So what kind of plan would you put in place for people and how do you follow up with that person or once you've created a plan, do they kind of get palmed off to someone else or what does that whole process look like? So um, in most contexts for social work, one of the big pieces of work that you're doing is a psychosocial assessment. So you're really trying to um, spend time, quality time with a person and really leaning in with empathy to understand their story. So this assessment is really comprehensive and um, pulls together a variety of information such as kind of basic information, so age, gender, language, cultural background, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. What is the presenting problem, um, you know, of of the day? Um, But then it's like, it's as, as I spoke about earlier, it's unpicking the threads that sit behind that. So, you know, who is this person in the context of their family so what's their um, family of origin experiences been like what's their early childhood experience been like what's their educational background legal concerns support networks um, medical background like all the pieces um, that you can imagine are parts of people's lives and then um, kind of pulling together and making sense of that in an analysis um, and then coming up with the client so you're always Mm -hmm. walking alongside the client um, and um, developing goals together about what the next step might be and that might be counselling, it could be um, some kind of crisis intervention. It it totally depends on the context um, that you're in and and what the needs of that client is and then you tend to be in most contexts um, following through with that client and helping them um, step through those goals and recommendations. Amazing. So I was wondering, as you were talking about and saying you might refer to a counsellor or something like that, if someone wanted to work in this field that's all about caring with people and meeting them and empathising, you can think of multiple jobs like social worker or counselling or therapist, psychologist, et cetera, that all kind of fit into that scheme. So what would you say is the largest differences between those jobs or how if someone wants to work in that field, would they kind of work out which of those places which of those jobs they want to have you know what I mean yeah it's a really important question and um there's a real shortage I think in 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 this sector of people working in the human services industry we're certainly um facing challenges recruiting staff at the moment so I think um you're not putting a foot wrong there's so many different pathways um people can do kind of bachelor of counseling human services Mm. psychology and when I think about People often talk about the difference between social work and psychology and, uh, you know, you probably have to ask a psychologist to get a more in-depth kind of answer. But the way I think of social work is that we 
contribute to human services by providing kind of holistic solutions to the social, behavioural and economic, um, the, you know, to the problems faced by yeah. clients in that really systematic way. Um, but And psychologists, from what I've seen, tend to focus their efforts on specifically helping patients address their individual issues. So their training is on the human mind and human behaviour and they're focused on how people think and feel. So it's, it, it appears to me to be more of an individual focus rather than that systems focus. So And neither is wrong. They're bo- they yeah. both, you know, both social workers, psychs or, or counsellors make significant contribution in the human service industry. And there's many... Um, there's many in environments that actually employ all of them. So mm-hmm. where I work at the moment at your town, so that's my coming full mm-hmm. circle. So I started my career at Kids Helpline and I'm now back in that organisation in a different capacity, um, but we're still running Kids Helpline and certainly for that service we're, we're hiring counsellors, social workers, um, those with um, counselling degrees, a variety because mm-hmm. there's some transdisciplinary nature to our work yeah lots of similarities no that makes sense but there are lots of similarities but I feel like you described it really well that systematic as opposed to maybe one-on-one yeah yeah it's an interesting yeah, distinction yeah yeah so I would love then if you could talk to us a little bit about your current job and also how it has to do more with management yeah so after working so I did child protection worked in sexual assault and um, got to do some cool stuff in the United Kingdom in that child protection space then worked in a hospital for 19 years and then last year came back um, to your town as their national manager for children and families so I'm looking after their face-to-face services Um, across Australia so a wide range of services we run um, domestic and family violence refuges we have um, a residential facility in Sydney for teenage parents who are at risk of losing the care of their child we do mental health services education in prisons all sorts of things like um, uh, our mission is around improving the lives of young people up to 25 so there's a big range of services that we deliver Um, so it's a really exciting role and it's um it's awesome to be back where I began Mm. um in my very first kind of social work job and (coughs) typical um day for me um is could be you know looking at service design how can we improve and strengthen the services that we're delivering looking at the data to see what's working and what's not Uh, there's lots of stakeholder engagement um troubleshooting risk management leadership financial and resource management those kind of things so um uh, yeah people sometimes ask do you miss the frontline um service delivery and I still do get to have contact with our clients because I'm out and about visiting our services all the time but Mm -hmm. um I think I reached a point in my career where I um really wanted to be able to make a difference at a different level to to pull the levers of of services in how we design services to make even a greater impact um I'd move from wanting to just work one-on-one with individuals to really want to um yeah look at that at that systems level about how I can make change for a greater number of people wow powerful and I guess also all of your experience for those 19 plus plus years one-on-one with people would make you the perfect one to be able to do this job and understand the way it works on every level for everybody I think yeah it's (laughs) great in my career being able to have 
a range of experiences with in different services because I think it yeah it just really builds um, those skills um, and I think unless you've done that frontline service delivery yourself, um, it it can make it hard to to step in that space of kind of um, yeah. yeah service design and oversight. No, that makes sense. So while you were a frontline social worker, and I guess now as well, did you ever feel just completely overwhelmed or too burnt out with trying to carry and empathise the weight of other people's trauma all day? I think in yeah, there, there are a number of jobs that have really stood out to me as being really full on, like child protection was full yeah. on. I got flown to Bangladesh to do some work and um, the sexual assault service I worked in was really overwhelming at times I'd be um, on call through the night and be called in by the hospital in the middle of the night um, when somebody had been assaulted to provide crisis counselling and help them through that forensic medical um, process so uh, there will always be clients that stick with you that you never forget there are always um, stories that I'll never forget that I still really um hold and I think you know you're not you're not human if you're not deeply touched by people's pain like it's you know one of the amazing things about social work is the privilege of walking alongside people often in their very darkest darkest hours like that is a privilege to you know hold that pain and help walk alongside um someone through that and so um yeah, yeah. So, yes, there are times where you're overwhelmed and you um, might feel like you've had enough, but I think the rewards outweigh those difficulties. Had shivers all over me. That is beautiful. And the fact that you see it as a privilege is just so powerful. And I'm sure so many people have been touched by the way that you've just sat with them and walked with them through that darkness and talked them through. That's amazing. Thanks, Talia. <laughs> So I guess what is the one of the biggest challenges in social work or that has arisen for you personally? I, I think the plight of social work is that the types of challenges that we're working with people, they're wicked social challenges. And I, I don't know if you've heard the term kind of wicked problems before. They're not no. wicked in a like an evil yeah. way. It's wicked wicked problems are, are problems that are like really hard to solve that that lack a straightforward solution yeah. and a kind of multi-dimensional and sometimes unclear. So like examples of wicked mm. problems are like poverty and homelessness and human trafficking, trafficking yeah. and domestic and family violence. And as social workers, we're often working directly with people who are impacted and helping them navigate navigate the way forward at an individual level but the problems they're facing are often a symptom of something much bigger and much harder to solve Um, and I find that a real challenge for social work um, about how do we actually um, make an impact and making some change with um, because nobody can solve those wicked problems alone health can't solve it Mm -hmm. education can't solve it like it it requires cross-sectoral coming together um, to be able to solve these wicked problems. So I think it's just a challenge in social work that we see these things come up and up and up again yeah. um, from different clients and, and we want to know how we can actually make a change, um, a, a bigger change. And have you come yeah. to any conclusions on that? 
I think, you know, you'd be a million trillionaire if you um, had the answer to wicked problems and yeah. it, it, it largely comes down to, like, how do we end domestic and family violence? Yeah. Like, that's massive. Cool. That's a massive wicked social problem mm. and it's it, it, it probably the answer lies in um, a multi-dimensional re- response around legislation, education, prevention programs, yeah. increasing funding. Or, like, it, it will require a massive transformation and change and I think it really comes down to how do we collaborate um, properly across the sectors to solve these problems together. Huge. <laughs> I have no idea. Huge. And you, as you were talking about that though, I was thinking about public health and the public health degree and that kind of vector, vector and field. Do you work closely with that much or is that a bit different again? Yeah, it is different again. I haven't had too much exposure, but that um, people at uh, there were staff at the hospital who had that public health background, and I think it's actually a really interesting space that you might want to explore further because again, it's looking at that um, systems level, yeah. uh, you know, around um, you know population level data as why are we seeing. Uh, health disadvantage in certain areas of the population and what can we do about that um so again it's it's that real systems approach at that much higher vantage point than that Mm. individual um trying to make a difference at that individual level so um i think that would be a really interesting course to explore yeah would from your from what you know would the public health course that be the people who more have the access to solve some of those wicked problems at least on a city level or federal level yeah possibly yeah. absolutely I think yeah most people get into social work or psych if they're wanting to um work at that grassroots level but I mm-hmm. think if you're wanting to um go straight to working at that systems level that would be a, yeah a qualification that would be helpful yeah that's interesting to know again the differentiations and how it all ties together so then I guess yeah. bring it to not talking about the challenges as much but what is the most rewarding part of your job alongside I think what I said earlier about um, just walking alongside people um, I think the 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 values of the uh, of social workers around respect for people and social justice like really align to my own values so it's it's Mm. great to work in a job where you feel like your values and and certainly the values of the organization I'm working now where, where the values are so aligned like you feel like you're in the groove and you're doing the work that you should be doing which is wonderful um Another really rewarding part of social work is the camaraderie of of your colleagues. Like, I've I've loved my colleagues there um, in all the places that I've worked. They're a really special bunch of people. I think when you're working with people um, and supporting them through the complexity, you Mm -hmm. have to have that camaraderie amongst the, you know, when I was working in ICU and supporting parents who are about to lose their child or, you know, doing, you've got to have that camaraderie of other colleagues who uh, are walking that journey with you. So that's a really rewarding part of the job as well as, as the client side of just walking alongside clients and meeting them exactly where they're at. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess it does. It, social work has to attract a very special and empathetic and caring type of person. So it would make sense that you all get along and care for each other as well. 
and I think, yeah, if I think about, you know, what's the most important quality for a social yeah. worker to have, I think you've nailed it. I think empathy would be my number one, like to be really interested in people and to able to identify and understand another person's experience and point of view, like helping them feel like they're not alone. Like it's so important and that, that notion of kind of stepping into someone else's shoes mm. and recognising that their experiences and worldviews are unique Um it really helps us to understand um, their needs better if we can um, yet lead with empathy mm-hmm. and, and that's quite different from sympathy. So empathy mm-hmm. is like you're sitting alongside um, someone in their, in, in their pain and helping them work through that. Yep, you preempted my next question. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a good one. It's important for people to know. But then I was thinking, and you a little bit answered it before about how you deal with carrying other people's trauma and weight. But do you find it hard to separate work from life? Or for you, is it kind of everything? Your work and your life is just caring for people so you don't need to separate it? Or how do you not carry that home and bring that home? I think you develop skills along the way like lots of people say oh I could never do social work because it's just so hard and it just must be so emotionally draining and and sometimes it is but I think it's the camaraderie that gets you through it's the skills that you develop along the way um you know lots of people have different strategies of managing their own emotions in the moment I, I I know myself when I've you know, particularly working with parents that are losing a, a child through a, a, a sudden accident or a, a terrible diagnosis. I know all, all social workers have their own, you know, tips of the trade of I always used to rub my tongue on the top of, on the roof of my mouth to mm. stop myself from crying, like ways of like, I've just got to keep my shit together, just got to yeah. keep my shit together. You just, like you, you just work through techniques and then once you've, been there and been present for the client and done what you need to do for the client you have supervision and you have colleagues mm-hmm. that can support you and um and that makes it easy to kind of separate um yeah your work from your real life but yeah there will always be people's and, and stories and stuff you mull over yeah. that you take into your own life you can never um truly uh, cut off from that but I think that's you know that's what being a human's all about that we care deeply about the people that we're working with Beautiful. Cool. What do you think is the biggest misconception about a social worker? Oh, uh, yeah. I think sometimes people just think social workers um, are there to, uh, you know, so even in the hospital context, sometimes people will call a social worker for, for lots of really practical tasks for a client. Um, <laughs> so, you know, because someone doesn't have clothes or they don't have um, financial resources and, and it's not that, that we don't help with those things, we absolutely do. But um, I think sometimes it's hard for other people, it's sometimes even hard for social workers to properly articulate um, their role and the impact that they can make. So I think sometimes other professions don't always get what we do um, mm-hmm. and think that we're just there to hand out tissues to people who are crying and kind of pat them on the shoulder, which is, um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's social work's obviously lot more much, than much more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I can imagine that would be a bit frustrating at times too. But then how would you articulate to someone? And I guess you said at the start about being with them and helping them create a plan. Um, but what what is an example of one of those plans that you would create for a client? Yeah, so um, it, it could be that, you know, if there was someone with – 
alcohol and other drug addiction that you might be um it could be that their early childhood experiences that they've had a lot of trauma in their life so they actually one of the interventions that they might need is counseling and support either done by that social worker or by um, another agency to help them really unpack and understand and make sense of their trauma so it might be a, a lot of therapeutic interventions alongside some practical things like signing up for an AID course or um you know seeking support from family and friends like there might be a combination of goals um, that you would put together yeah. with a client and most importantly you've got to do it with that client because what I might think are the steps out of it for somebody else it's actually got to be their steps it's got to be mm -hmm. what's achievable for them what they're actually motivated to do and if you do it with a client and giving them as much agency over that process as possible they're more likely to be able to follow through with those steps but usually it's a combination of you know practical steps alongside counseling therapy that kind of thing yeah i think it, it, it depends on the context that you're working in so yeah. you know when when i've worked in emergency medicine or icu or in the sexual assault service those points of or, or when i'm you know we now we run those domestic and family violence refuges at the organization that i'm at mm -hmm. when you're working with people at a crisis point it requires a really different response. It's not necessarily the time to unpack all the yeah. previous traumas of life. You have to provide a really different response, a crisis response. So you might not be developing a huge list of goals for that person. Mm -hmm. It might be about just helping them get through the next hour. Um, yeah. yeah, so you really tailor your response based on what the need is. And I guess on that a little bit, how often do you feel like the well I guess clients don't come to you you come to them but how often are they ready to make some of those changes or really wanting to change or is it more they found themselves as low as they can go and now they need a way to get back out yeah often in in some of the contexts that we're working at like in child protection they're not voluntary clients mm. and and that's another important skill to learn as a social worker you're often can be going into homes where people don't want you there. I, I remember working in London and um, turning up to some council estates to do some child protection investigations and being booed off the estates wow. uh, because people knew where, where I was coming from. Um, so working with people that don't want you to be there is a real um yeah, is a real challenge. So it's a combination of the voluntary and non-voluntary clients. But I think if you treat people with respect and if you treat people with, um, you know, if you engage with people with empathy, uh, you can really work through that and find a way to work together, even with the most difficult clients. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You all deserve a hug and a box of chocolates and a round of an applause. Well, then I always love to ask my guests, if you could go back and give your 15-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, that is such a good question. <laughs> that is a really good question. Um, and uh, the piece of advice, and I've thought a lot about it lately, yeah. um, uh, about it's a, a lesson as much, a piece of advice as much for me now as it mm -hmm. was back then. And that's to do something every day um, that your future self will thank you for. Yeah. Um, so that it's just as important 
personally as it is professionally because our to-do list will be always will be never ending and you're never going to be able to do it all and I think as humans it's human nature to often put off um, things that you're you're dreading um, to procrastinate Mm -hmm. so my advice would be don't leave all the hard stuff till later most of the hard stuff isn't as hard as you think it is and if you can just pick one thing you'll be so glad that you've done it and so that could be um and and particularly if it's something that pushes you slightly out of your comfort zone so it could be cleaning your space so that the rest of your week your Mm -hmm. environment is a nice place for you to be or it could be saying yes to a small public speaking opportunity when you absolutely hate doing it or it could be having a hard conversation with somebody that you've been putting off or opening that school book and reading one chapter (laughs) I was waiting for that part of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm talking to you and my daughter yeah yeah thanks Um, (laughs) but you you might have heard of that saying uh the only way to eat an elephant is one bite of a bite at a time have you heard that I've heard a similar concept not exactly elephant but yeah yeah but um so sometimes it's just like you you can't tackle it all but just pick one thing that you know when you wake up tomorrow or a day down the track that you'll go oh so glad I just did that and got it out of the way and I think who we become can be as a result of those the smallest and simplest of acts and Mm. I would tell my 15 year old self that you can do hard things um, and that hard things start with lots of tiny little steps in the right direction Mic drop. (laughs) That's amazing, Jerry. Thank you so, so much for sharing everything tonight. No worries. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Wowie, what a beautiful conversation. What a beautiful heart and story Jerry has. Like I said at the beginning, I really did hope, do hope, did hope, and continue to hope that this answered some of your questions and that you just feel one step closer towards some careers that might be right for you. Or maybe it helped rule out a career that you don't think is quite right for you. Either way, that is okay. You have time. And if you work hard, you can find a career and a lifestyle that makes you want to jump out of bed each day and really get at it and enjoy it. So hope you have a fabulous week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, be sure to leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app. Follow along at goodluck underscore charliepod for more encouraging content, more steps to help you work out your career, and just more ways and encouragement to reach your dreams. You can also request for other jobs on there. Just send me a DM or comment on one of the posts, any jobs that you would like to see. So yes, I hope you have a fabulous week. And with that, thank you, Joe, once again. And good luck, Charlie. Bye, you guys. Good luck, Charlie. Ba-ba-do-ba-da-ba-da.